Welcome to Mastering Your Exit Strategy. I'm your host, Christine Trumbull, a certified exit planning advisor, CPA, and certified tax strategist. I've spent the last 30 years working with owners to grow and scale their businesses, and then went on to help my own husband grow his. After his passing, I moved to the next chapter, ensuring seamless transitions for family-owned and closely held businesses. Each week, we are talking to experts about growth and transition, so you can not only simplify exiting your business, but also get as much wealth out of your business as possible. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This is Christine Trumbull, and this is Mastering Your Exit Strategy. Today's guest is Dawn Mansky. Her 10 years of living in China and visiting orphanages full of little girls taught her about the horrors of trafficking after getting to know children and teens that had been victims of human trafficking. Dawn's dream to help rescue and restore trafficked people started with a pair of pants. She said, if there's any way I can help girls like this by selling pants, then I will sell pants. This increased her understanding of using solid, ethical business practices to create systemic social change. That pledge marked the beginning of Made for Freedom. So thank you for joining me today, Dawn. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to do a little bit of background. I know you love to travel and that you um, ha- your educational background is in um, uh, elementary education? Elementary education, bachelor's, uh, master's in education administration, okay. and a master's in theology. Okay. <laughs> and then you went to China and spent uh, some time in China uh, teaching English? Mm-hmm. Okay. And while you were over, while you were in China, well, first of all, what, what drove you to do that? You know, I felt like God was calling me to go. Okay. And, you know, people think, oh, you must love, you must have been in love with China. And I was like, no, if, if God makes it clear that he wants you someplace, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be anywhere else. Excellent. Okay. So I, right after college, I actually started my first my first visit to China was while I was still in college. I did a summer trip. Okay. And while I was there, it was confirmed. And I was like, okay, I'm coming back to China after I graduate. So okay. I went back, finished college, headed over to China as a English teacher mm-hmm. with a program. Mm-hmm. Ended up in three different cities. My first year was in Chengdu, capital of Sichuan. Okay. With all the really spicy food. Uh, <laughs> next year was in Shanghai. And that food I could actually eat. I didn't grow, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah. And after one year in Shanghai, moved up to Beijing and switched over to teaching children. I had been teaching adults. Okay. So I thought, well, I have a degree in elementary education. How about we try working with kids? Yeah. So I started up there. Okay. Are you still speaking Mandarin? I love trying. I have forgotten so much. I spent 10 years mm-hmm. and it, I worked hard. My brain does not take languages easily. Neither does but mine. I, I lived, I finally moved in after I was teaching, I was the program director for the International Christian Fellowship in Beijing. Okay. So I did five years doing that. And I, for 10 years, I was studying Chinese, you right. know, on the side, not full time but I moved into an, a Chinese apartment complex. 
And I'm a people person. So being able to have conversations with people, what I have been told is my Chinese sounds very authentic. My vocabulary level is not great. And I've been back for almost 15 years now. Mm -hmm. I lose more and more. So when I see a group of Chinese students mm-hmm. or Chinese people, I walk up and I'm like, Ni hao, ni zemiang. And I say, you know, like the four phrases I remember really well. And um, I just, I miss speaking Chinese. Okay. But. Yeah. If you're not immersed in it, it's, it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. Right. Excellent. So when you were over there, what did you, what were you seeing? Well, like, as you mentioned, visiting the orphanages, the first city that I was in, Chengdu, mm-hmm. there was a, a guy from the United States and he rallied all of the foreigners. He's like, come on, we're going to go Saturday morning at 6 a.m. and we're going to go hold orphans <laughs> because these little babies need love. Yeah, And we did. And we would go and ride, you know, and out ride our bikes an hour to get to this orphanage. And these little ones were basic. Most of the week were tied to chairs Mm. and, you know, they, they just needed affection. They needed love. They needed relational things. And so we would go there. And when I, when I realized most of them were little girls that, and I, I wasn't looking at what are the vulnerabilities that lead people to exploitation? Like this, this was much later down the road, but I just thought, and I, I know this, like everyone knows China had the one child policy, China, because of the way their culture is and who takes responsibility for the parents, they valued boys. Mm -hmm. So if you're only allowed one kid and it's a girl, you're like, oh no, I want a boy. Right. So they would just abandon them. And all of these little girls, it just broke my heart. And, you know, so that kind of gave me some insight. And then several years later, when I was living in Beijing, I met a lady who had moved to Beijing specifically to work with the street kids. And we all knew who these kids were because it's certain parts of the city. They would hang out on the sidewalks because there were a lot of foreigners and they would do their begging or, you know, they would be selling flowers or, I didn't, I never had a car, but they would go around washing the windows of the cars of the foreigners and just asking for money, you know, so they were going out trying to get money. And she explained these kids, there was, there were men and women who would go to the poor regions of China, talk to the families and say, oh, if I take your child to the big city, there's, there's so many opportunities and there's so much money and I can get them a good job in a restaurant or, you know when you're dealing with extreme poverty, you're vulnerable to no, not knowing, not understanding what the big city has, but you're also right. vulnerable to these people who prey on those right. who are vulnerable. So they believed them and they sent their kids with these bosses to the big city. And these guys would have, you know, 15 kids living in a little apartment, sleeping on the floor and sending them out in the afternoon to work until, you know, early morning hours. And all of that money went back to them. So they're not getting educated. They're being abused. They're being sexually, physically, emotionally abused. Right. And and working as labor for these guys. So that, and this was before we were calling it trafficking. Right. Or before I knew the term trafficking. 
but really kind of got that understanding of how extreme poverty leads to vulnerability and devaluation of the girl child mm-hmm. is one of a is a huge vulnerability in lots of parts of our world right yeah it's not just china oh no, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. so how does that lead to pants right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so a little later after i came back to the united states i actually was at a lunch sponsored by IJM, International Justice Mission. And they had a video of this undercover reporter that went into Cambodia asking for the youngest girls he could find. And it just ripped my heart out. And I was like, okay, my, it's turning my stomach. It's breaking my heart. What in the world? And that I think was when I realized, oh, this is far bigger than the orphanages and the street kids that I met in, in China. Right. This is around the world. This is a huge issue. And I, and seeing this video of young girls ushered in to be chosen for this undercover reporter, you know, and I, I just, it weighed on me so heavily. So here's this huge issue. And I'm, I have a much better understanding. Like I've seen elements that make people vulnerable to this, but I've seen like sex trafficking at its worst Mm -hmm. right here. And I thought, okay, what can I do? And it just weighed on me. So every conversation that I had, it kind of went back to that because I I couldn't figure out what to do when somebody was complaining that they didn't have the latest smartphone. I'm like, you don't understand problems. There are seven-year-old girls being sold for sex. Yeah. You don't like, don't even talk to me. And it, it, every, it was almost like every conversation revolved around this because it just weighed so heavily on me. Well, fast forward a little bit, end up at a dinner with this incredibly handsome young man, three months younger than me to be exact. And I had met him 10 years prior. We, he says we had a great conversation eight years prior. He says we had another great conversation. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> but he was a really nice guy. So I married him. Okay. And uh, <laughs> while we were preparing for the wedding, he took me to meet some people. And we went to this little shop and I saw these sandals. And I read the story about these sandals. And I was like, this is a business providing jobs like the ladies who made these sandals were provided with jobs that gave them a platform gave them the money they needed gave them a safe space so that they could move forward in their education and careers Mm -hmm. that's cool yeah after seeing some of the things that i had seen Mm -hmm. i was like that's impressive 